This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm, I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and personalities to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors, teaching you their expertise, and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we do have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here at The Art of Charm by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com and get some great stuff that we don't or can't share on the show. If you like what you hear, come hang out with us on the blog where we get really in-depth on these topics and you can engage with the AOC team there as well. Or if you're new to the show and you want to find out more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, you can go to the website. We'll email you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language and nonverbal communication, dating and attraction, persuasion, business networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a whole lot more. We've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you want to learn and grow. And we're sold out a couple months in advance, so if you're even thinking about it a little bit, get in touch now. Email or phone is fine. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. Get some info from us so you can plan ahead. Looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with my friend Robert Patrick Lewis, Green Beret MBA. It's his new book series. We're going to talk about working in the special forces and how that translates to business, finance, strategy, and marketing. His nonlinear writing process, which is really unusual and kind of interesting, knowing how to not get your head chopped off literally or figuratively in business or just in Afghanistan or Iraq, and of course, how to use LinkedIn inside your corporation, among other resources, to move on up the ladder. So enjoy this one with Robert Patrick Lewis. Glad to have you back, man. It's been a, a long time. Last time you were on the show, you were in my living room before I moved to San Francisco, and now I don't even live in San Francisco anymore, so it's been a long time. Yeah, well, I think that's just a sign of the times. You know, everything is rapidly changing. I think we just, everything, even our personal lives and technology, everything around us just changes at an exponential pace. Yeah, you know? I, a lot of people are uh, on the move, myself especially. Well, first of all, give us a little hint in the past if people didn't hear episode like 200 or whatever it was that you were on. Now this is going to be like 400 and change. Yeah, you guys are busy. Yeah, <laughs> crushing them down. Now I got prof uh, got producer Jason here, so now I don't have to do everything myself. Oh, yes. That's that's why I'm here. I forgot. That's why you're here. <laughs> hey, well, it's the uh, you know productivity, man. It's amazing. I think you are the bastion of, of being able to conserve time and efficiently produce things, right? Whatever it might be. So. I'm taking notes from you guys. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't need a lot of paper to take notes from us, I would say. <laughs> so your former Green Beret, is it, was it like an all, once a Green Beret, always Green Beret, or is it former Green That's Beret? That's the Marines, but, you know, since I've got out, more people have said that to me than I ever heard while I was in the military, so apparently that is the true thing, and I just never heard of it. I think so. we just, uh, civilians just apply it to every branch and every MOS. Yeah, Probably. I just say former, uh, but in all honesty, my experiences there has framed more of my life and my view of the world now than I think anything else. What stands out to you as you say it framed the way you look at the world now? What sort of things are you pointing to? You know, a lot of people that I see in day-to-day -day life depend on other people. You know what I mean? You always depend on the herd or the team or whatever to pull you up. And that's what you're taught as a Green Beret is that, you know, the herd, the team is not going to be there all the time. Yeah, we have a team. You have an ODA. 
but all of the selection course, right? The way that they select us is the person that can do everything on their own, the person that doesn't need the team, the person that only needs very vague instructions in a general direction, and you go conquer a country. That's what they look for, and that's what's reinforced throughout your time in special forces is, yeah, this tiny, tiny team of 10 guys, which is not the you know conventional army team of, of hundreds of thousands, it's your team of 10 guys, and those 10 guys might not even be there on your mission. You might have to go do a mission just you or you and one other guy doing a recon or whatever it might be and you have to really learn to judge everything by that how am i going to do this not how are they going to do this for me how am i going to do this and it just it frames the way you look at every situation you know knowing your own core competencies and strengths how does that fit into sort of corporate life where you are now where it's all be a team player trust fall play paintball together or whatever it is that teams are doing you know it's amazing uh how different different cultures are so right now i'm working in marketing i work for a digital marketing firm uh within omnicom which is you know the the marketing world is very different than it was five years ago even five months ago it's changing pretty rapidly the way that this digital marketing phase is, has changed is everything's broken down into very niche markets right so we have like analysts who do nothing but math we have people who program the algorithms we have people that do new business like me, go out and you know find new clients. We have people that manage relationships with the old clients. And you'd think from reading you know all these different business textbooks that everybody would sit in a scrum and be right next to each other. But it is very, you know, if you have 30 clients and they have huge clients that need a lot of stuff, you know, Apple and Yahoo and BlackRock and WWE and HBO, they all demand a lot of time. And so you got to be really good at task organization and coming together as a team when you need to but being able to, to accomplish your mission on your own when you need to do it. I don't know what people do in corporations at all. I've only worked for one, basically, at the law firm, and that was just, you know, doing legal documents. But first of all, when you were in the military, was that your first job? No, I, uh, I'm i kind of different. I started my first company when I was in college producing large-scale music festivals. So if you've ever heard of the Zen Music Festival, you know, we typically do ten to 30,000-person music festivals. And I got into that through a partner who had who had actually started the company and so that was kind of it was my first business but he actually did the startup my first job was like as a busboy or something i've just never been able to sit still so i've always done different things but i've worked for you know the army ucla health enterprise since then that's where i learned lean management uh after them i went to raytheon and now i'm working for omnicom so some pretty big companies because i'm trying to sort of figure out what the mental process must have been like going from were you, in, were you in Iraq or Afghanistan or both? both? Okay, yeah. so yeah, didn't even couldn't even pick one. Just went to both. <laughs> Gotta um, stay busy. <laughs> yeah, coming from Iraq and Afghanistan, and then being in Omnicon, where you're just like, hi, you know, here's your office, and just sit here and process all this stuff. I mean, what was the mental shift like going from the military, especially the special forces, to corporate wear suit? You know, I get a lot of questions about that, actually. So the Omnicom thing that I'm in right now, I'm doing a year-long residency where they're specifically looking for former special operations people. So it's called the Accelerate Expellum Company. There's a recruiting company called Expellum run by former SEALs that specifically does hiring for special operations guys. Omnicom hired a few special operations veterans and just loved them. Went, oh my God, these guys are awesome because of the way we can look at things the way that we don't really play politics, the way we compartmentalize, the way that we do, we handle problems and, and find solutions quickly, right? Uh, so they started this internship where they take 10 special operations veterans to New York every quarter. 
we essentially competed against each other, sit down with the CEO of the company in general, and then four CEOs from four different companies. And we get to go in and sit down with them and essentially compete, right? Compete in a, in a board style format for this job. And that was one of the questions I got was, how are you going to sit behind a desk? Like you've been doing this and like, how are you going to sit behind a desk? Well, it's just another challenge, right? And I think that's the thing you need to understand is the only constant in the universe is change, right? And so if I get set in my Good ways, cliche. yeah, I, I know but it's, it's something I had heard in chemistry or physics or something when I was in college. And I just held on to that one. Cause I love that. It's kind of the perfect idea. And again, that would be the difference between special operations and their training and conventional army is be adaptable, right? You know, it's not survival of the fittest, it's survival of the most adaptable. Mm -hmm. So be adaptable versus conventional kind of, here's what you're going to do and do it the same way every time, every day with the same people in the way that we tell you. And that's just what I am. I'm, I'm, I adapt, right? I'm, I'm jello. Just mold me into wherever I need to be and I'll be happy and I'll figure out how to become the apex predator and just dominate whatever I got to do. It seems like uh, with special forces in, in corporate America, they should just have you guys in bill collection and accounts receivable because everybody <laughs> yeah. would pay on time. Well, same thing. They put me in new business, right? So I'm shadowing the CEO of Direct Partners, Skip Reed, here in Marina Del Rey. And he, after meeting me about 10 minutes, I know he went, you're new business. And I went, oh, okay. Because that's new business is not being shy, going out, finding people. And once you find people, like just being able to assimilate into whatever their corporate culture is, whatever message they need to hear and, and understand, are we a good cultural fit? Are we not a good cultural fit? If we are, how do we help each other? And that's special forces, right? I go find the warlord I need to work with, sit down with that warlord, make sure I don't do any full pause that's going to get my head chopped off and then figure out how we work together to defeat whatever our enemy is. It sounds very abstract, but it's a pretty close correlation. What gets your head chopped off these days? Showing them the bottom of your feet. Really? They'll kill you for that, huh? That's a, another thing they select special forces for is you have to be able to assimilate, right? We're big on foreign culture. We're big on studying the culture before we go somewhere, trying to learn the language, knowing as much as we can about right, which hand do I eat with, which hand do I not eat with, you know, which hand do I shake hands with, can I look at this girl in this country, whatever, you know. If you only know about Iraq, you'll get your head chopped off going to Afghanistan because it's wildly different cultures, even though we try to place them in this same Middle East right. pot. Very, very different. Exactly. Camels, sand, bad weather. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Baklava. Dirt merchants everywhere. Right. Yeah. That's like <laughs> what 90% of America, I just actually, that's double what 90% of America knows about those places. <laughs> just known baklava right there. Yeah, right. right. That's, that's that was good. the additional yeah, 50%. <laughs> Interesting. The bottom of your feet, huh? That's just really... It's just a huge one, man. It's a big one. I've heard that's offensive. I just didn't... I didn't know they would decapitate you for it. And it all depends on where you are and more importantly, what they need from you, right? And that's what I really learned in Special Forces, diplomacy and in business, right? You've got to know leverage. You've got to know what is my leverage in any situation. Am I right now, am I at the top? Do I have the higher framing where I can essentially own this conversation because I have what you need? Right. Or do I, do you have what I need? Right. That's why you were asking me about frame control this morning. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's, I, it's something that, you know, I, I, being, when I was a financial advisor, that was something that uh, I heard a lot of different sales tactics and a lot of them were always just kind of hokey to me. They are. Cause yeah. it's, it's like anytime they bring up an objection, just like interrupt with this cool, it's not a matter of resources. It's a matter of resourcefulness. And it's like, that sounds good for five seconds <laughs> yeah. until the person's like, no, I just don't have the resources. Yeah, uh, well, it's it's funny how much conflicting information there is out there for business, especially for sales. Yeah, right? and so you hear 
Dale Carnegie, who is, you know, win friends and always or win friends and influence people, always be nice, always subjugate yourself to the person, always subjugate to their ego mm-hmm. versus pitch anything where it's dominate. Mm-hmm. Like you have to own it, you know, use subtle resistance tactics, you know, use all these different things to always make it known that you are the apex predator in this conversation. Right. And it's funny because there's all this conflicting information out there and even... You know, so right now I'm working in marketing. My undergraduate was in marketing. My MBA emphasis is in marketing. All of that education, academics, all those books that I read, all the stuff that I learned, it's outdated, completely outdated. Mm-hmm. And the marketing industry is changing so rapidly that by the time they write a book and even create a new course, it's outdated. Sure. You know, and so translating all that stuff again, it's just learn to be adaptable, understand right. you only have a, a kind of a, a basic foundation. And the learning experience starts on the job, which is the same thing as special forces, right? You, right. They teach what they can in the Q course, and then you learn once you get to your team. That makes a lot of sense. I, I can definitely imagine the Iraq and Afghanistan of the corporate world being pitch anything versus Dale Carnegie. Yeah, but it, but it's true because so. <laughs> it's like it's contextually based, right? If, if I'm coming in to acquire your company and I'm pitching you on that, but at the end of the day, I know you really need what I have. You're just choosing between us and different resources. So you're looking for sort of indicators of competence, right? Somebody's going to say, if you do this, this is going to happen. If you do that, that's going to happen because you want that guy taking control of your enterprise. But if you're trying to get a customer to buy something from you and they have a million other options because it's a washer dryer and you're there with your wife, yeah, you want to make the guy feel smart for choosing this one and make her feel like she's going to be taken care of if she buys this one from you. I mean, it's totally different type of of care that you would have to take with that particular audience. And I can see that that's the bottom of your feet versus. Yeah. Well, that's a key thing that I've learned. I mean, that was one of the first things I picked up on when I started this residency and, you know, going and being with direct partners in Omnicom, which is this kind of huge, they own 200 something different marketing and advertising firms is that this change has gone from, you know, it used to be, let's just say a TV network, right? Direct partners has, they've done more over the top networks than any other company out there. So it used to be that a TV company, like when we were kids, right? The Friends or the Seinfeld season finale or, or final episode, you had to be on the couch when they wanted to show it to you or you missed it, right? When we were kids, there was right. no DVR, there was no that. So this is where you're going to be. And because of that, we can sell advertising for a million, two million, just like the Super Bowl bucks for 30 seconds. All that's changed, right? right? And yeah. so that whole marketing idea went from, we're just going to buy advertising and we're going to tell you what, what you want, when you want it. We know everybody's going to watch this. To me as a millennial, I can get whatever I want to watch, whenever I want it, however I want to watch it. If I want to watch it on my Apple TV, that's cool. If I want to watch it on a tablet while I'm going to the bathroom, I can do that. And it's now up to marketing and advertising to figure out how I want it, when I'm going to get it, where I'm going to get it, what I'm going to do. And again, that's just adaptability, right? It's that idea that we have to change the way that we looked at everything and be able to adapt to what the customer wants now. That's awesome because now the customer has control over what they get and when they get it. So how are you taking these lessons from the Green Beret? Well, you have Green Beret MBA. Tell us about what that is, what that's all about. So it's a podcast that I started a couple of months ago. Honestly, it was just, I don't know. I had an idea. I was on the Vets on Media Network and they wanted some more content. And I just, I had this thought, you know, there's a lot of things going on right now of veterans getting out of the military and companies saying they want to hire them, but not really putting their money where their mouth is and actually hiring. Why is that? Why was that happening? I, I hear about that a lot, actually. It's very good PR for a company to say, oh, we're veteran friendly. We want to hire veterans. Veterans, come one, come all. We're going to hire you. But the actual aspect of hiring them, right? And the big disconnect is 
HR reps are so used to writing a job description and looking for black and white bullet points in that job description and not being able to translate what a military resume or what military experience, how that translates to this job description they pointed. They're, you know, they want somebody who spent 10 years going through, you know, working up core competencies at other, let's just say marketing, in other marketing firms and learning how to do direct mail or numbers crunching or, or mm. algorithms or programmatic buying. They want to see that. They don't understand how I was a Green Beret who went into a lot of other countries and, you know, had to meet with new people and learn their culture rapidly and use uh, efficient and excellent communication skills to understand what they need and how to meet those needs and how we can help each other. They don't get that, right? And so that was one of the really cool things about this residency program is that they kind of throw all that aside and they go, okay, we know you guys can adapt to pretty much anything. So we're going to throw you to a couple of our companies, figure out where you fit best, and then and then we'll go in. So what I wanted to do with that was kind of help bridge that gap and help veterans that didn't have four years of business school or the past 10 years of experience in the business world, give them a simple, digestible 50-minute podcast where I could, hey, okay, I've, I've done an undergrad, I'm doing my MBA, I've got all this business experience, and I'm a veteran, so you can listen to me. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you've missed up on in the last 10 years. Here's how you translate to the business world. You know, I talk a lot about entrepreneurship and starting your own business. If they don't want to hire you, well, screw them. Go start your own business. Right. You know, so trying to just kind of digest everything that I've spent all this time learning and give it into an easy format for veterans to pick up and use. Awesome. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. All right, back to Robert Patrick Lewis. You're going to be writing a book about these same topics. Correct, or you have? Yeah, it's in the process. Uh, that's actually, and by process, you mean somewhere in the back of your head. No, you <laughs> know, I'm I'm okay. very methodical. Again, you are. Okay. I took all these military kind of lessons that I learned and translated to my writing. Right. Okay. So when I wrote my first book, "Let Me When I'm Gone," which was my my military memoir about my time in SF, nothing was written linearly. Right. SF so, being special forces, not San Francisco, for those of you in Silicon Valley. who think San Francisco special forces. Actually, Ian Burlingame. So I've, I've got a business plan I'm pitching to VCs. There's a former Green Bray that's a tech investor that I'm working with right now named EM, which is a whole nother conversation. Right. Yeah. So the way that I write is I have an idea. I sit down and as soon as I have this idea, it usually comes to me yoga or running in the morning or whatever. Uh, as soon as I get back or on my phone or wherever I can get to immediately. I read a paragraph about this idea. I usually see a short movie clip, which is very interesting because- In your head. In my head, okay. yeah. Sometimes it's the entire movie, like a dream. I'll see the entire movie in a span of like five minutes. Sometimes it's just a small snippet and I just write down whatever I got, right? And then I, I put it there, I leave it, I save it. Uh, I come back whenever I can or whenever I get the inspiration to, I turn that paragraph into a one-page summary of the entire story, right? So what is the story? Right now I'm writing the packed trilogy. So the, the next step was to write one page of the entire trilogy. Then I take that one page and I go, okay, based off of this one page, how does it have to be broken down? Is this 12 chapters? Is this 16 chapters? Is this 20 chapters? I break it down into how many segments it has to be and then write a paragraph about what each of those segments has to accomplish. Chapter one, what has to happen in chapter one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all the way through. After I have a paragraph on each chapter, I go through and turn that paragraph into a chapter. And so the way that I do that, I can go in and out of timelines mm -hmm. simply. If I ever lose my place, I go back to the one pager and go, oh yeah, this is where it ends. This is where the middle is. This is where the beginning is. Anytime I lose track of you know where I am in a chapter, because any story will become alive on its own. The characters take on a life of their own if it's a good one. Anytime that starts to happen, I can quickly go through the other paragraphs of the other chapters and go, oh yeah, uh, okay, mm -hmm. so we're meeting up with the SAS and, and French Foreign Legion in this chapter. So we got to do this here and this is how I connect those dots. 
So all these things that I have are already mapped out. I've got 30 something books at this point that are mapped out and I have that. I just don't have the time to sit down and connect the dots. And it's one of those things where I get, I get angry when I hear about authors that have writer's blocks. I'm like, fuck you, man. I just don't have the time. Like, <laughs> right, I wish yeah. I had writer's block. Right. Cause this stuff, it keeps coming. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. And it's like, it's that running tally in my head where I go, man, it's exciting. I'm creating these worlds and I love it and it's exciting and it's fun. And I don't have the time to do one of the most fun things in my life. Right. This is the fiction stuff. Fiction stuff or not. Like that's, you know, again, the Green Beret MBA. So I've got the podcast and I'm writing a series of books, right? So Wait, tell us about those. That's going to be very business oriented. So kind of like a Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Um, Rich. So the Green Beret MBA will essentially be the series of books. And that'll be what I learned, what special forces taught me about uh, business leadership, finance, about strategy, about you know, team about working in teams, things like that. So it'll have kind of different subheadings for each book that comes out. Uh, that's as, as a series 65, you know, I've got all these different financial licenses. I want to write a book on finance for veterans that is extremely simple, right? That is essentially, <laughs> okay. here's annuities, here are stocks, here are bonds, here are, here's life insurance. Here's what this is. Here's a no BS, down and dirty, what it is, who it's good for, and how you should use it. From a veteran, like, hey, I'm not trying to BS you here. I'm a veteran. You can listen to me because we don't have a tendency to trust other people. And so it's something where I spend all this time learning all this stuff and figuring out how it works. Now it's my job to chew it up and digest it and spit it back to you in a, in a way that you can use it and put it out in a series of books. So I got the fiction going on with the pact and a couple other series I want to work on. And then I've got the business series with the Green Beret MBA that I want to start working on. Excellent. So can we talk about some of those business principles gleaned from not showing people the bottom of your feet and negotiating <laughs> with warlords? Well, and that's a big one, right? And that's know your set and setting. And that it applies to anything, whether you're trying to not get your head chopped off or whether you're trying to land a new business deal or, you know, get a job. And that's one thing that people tend to forget. Uh, one of my, I think the first podcast I did on the Green Beret MBA was we're all salesmen, right? And that's something that you know here with the Art of Charm. That's sure. a, a big thing. You're teaching people every moment of every day and every interaction, you're selling yourself. And if you're not selling yourself, you're selling your company or something else. And even if you don't think, you know, I, why would I need to sell myself? I'm happy where I am right now. What if, you're, what if your company goes out of business tomorrow and right. left without a job? And I met this guy, Joe, in line at the bank last week, and we really hit it off and I gave him a business card. Well, if Joe works for another company in my same industry, I can call Joe and go, hey, man, I, you might not remember when we met last week, but you know, I, I, I'm in the marketing and I'm looking for a new job. If I did a good job of selling myself with Joe, which interpersonal you know, communication, it's not, hey, give me money for this service or product. It's selling myself sure. as a person. He's a lot more inclined when I call him the next week and say, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm back in the market. I'm looking for something. Hey, I remember you work for company XYZ. Do you guys have any openings? If we had that connection... He is a lot more likely to go, yeah, you know what? I know Sue in HR, or I know this division over here that's hiring, or whatever. So understanding basic facts like that, that a lot of people just put off, or a lot of people hear about sales, and they go, I don't, I'm not a salesman. I don't want to be a salesman. Right, I don't want to be a salesman. You have to be. You have to be. Whether it's looking for a job, you know, picking up a woman at a bar, or looking for the right used car. Right, sure. you have to understand interpersonal communications. It's uh, it's like Dory Clark was on our show talking about personal branding and standing out. And a lot of people, their criticism of her first episode on Art of Charm was, "Well, I don't really need that because I'm not, you know, a thought leader or an author. I just work at a corporation." And it's like, well, if you're not branding yourself personally, 
the guys sitting next to you may be doing that throughout the company, trying to stand out. And selling yourself doesn't mean like, hey, Jordan Harbinger here, anytime you need financial <laughs> advice, give me a call, buddy, here's my card, see you later, and then doing that with 20 other people. It's just, hey, listen, I've, I've got an idea for the company, or this is my, this is my strong points, and everybody in the office knows that. Uh, here's who I work with really well, everybody in the office knows that, higher-ups know that I'm gunning for this type of job in the future. That stuff's really helpful, and people who, people who aren't doing that are sort of directionless, because if they're looking to pick people for a team, they might say, oh, well, I heard that Robert was interested in this. Why don't you talk to him? And then meanwhile, I'm sitting there going, I never get picked for anything because nobody knows what I want. They, they don't, you know, I, don't, I don't have a brand. And that's a big you know, brand building, personal marketing, interpersonal relationships, just drive or desire to do something better. Everything requires a strategy, right? And that's an, another thing. A lot of people don't think about strategy in their daily life. They might think about strategy at work, maybe if they're in that kind of job, but a lot of people have never actually sat down and said, what do I want? When do I want it? And how am I going to get it? And you sit down and you essentially go, okay, what do I want? What are my core competencies? How am I going to get there? What do I have to do? And what's my timeline? And work towards those, right? So what am I good with people? Yeah. Okay. Am I in a, am I in a job that highlights those talents? No. Okay. How do I get there? Because those jobs tend to do pretty well, right? Most CEOs come from marketing or sales or something like that because they have to know so much about the business, right? And just by knowing about the business, being able to sell the business, you're kind of a key, a key choice for operations, higher level management, things like that. But people have to know that you have that desire. I think a lot of people want to believe that a CEO comes from, it's just, I'm the son of somebody and right. he's the son of somebody. Don't work like that. The CEOs are the people that have their own strategy. They know where they want to get and they do it. There's that big movement right now to just not go to college, right? It's been yeah. going on for a while. We'll yeah. pay you, just don't go to college. Who needs college, whatever. Bill Gates dropped out of college. Mark Zuckerberg dropped out of college. He dropped out of Harvard, right? Those guys <laughs> yeah. Yeah, didn't get there from check. sitting on their butt all day and they didn't get born into an acceptance to Harvard, right? They worked their butts off and then they went off somewhere else. But if you look at CEOs or, or higher level management in most competent organizations, their masters, they're, they have MBAs, they have their master's degree, you know, they, they've gone that extra step. And it might not be that that extra schooling teaches you all these valuable principles, right? It might come from books you bought on Amazon, right? But showing the world that I want a higher level thing. So I'm going to check this block off that requires and shows that I want this puts a big flag on you, puts a big flag on your resume or on LinkedIn or within your organization, you know, just putting that in, Hey guys, um, reimbursed for uh, for masters because I'm thinking about going to get my MBA or I am getting my MBA or whatever. You get a flag on you, right? A right. good flag. And you need to show that desire if you really have a desire to move forward. And so you're doing that just by making it known to higher ups in your organization that you want those things? Yeah. And it can be done through so many different levels, whether you're, you're making actions and actually going forward and doing something like higher higher level education uh, you know, so I've been writing a LinkedIn pulse. I started this thing where I'm, uh, what is yeah. that? It's a blog on LinkedIn essentially. Okay. Right. So LinkedIn, you know, you can have like a blog that you share on Facebook, which is kind of like, here's my coffee this morning or whatever. Mm -hmm. LinkedIn is a little bit more professional. So I write it, I started writing this blog chronicling my residency through Omnicom and all these kind of the arbitrage that I see between education and marketing and reality and marketing, right? Just how much of a difference there is and, and how, how different everything is. And so that's just another way that, yeah, I'm doing this, but I'm also highlighting this skill to the company. Like, hey, I'm learning this quickly because I'm writing these blogs showing that I've learned all these lessons 
in a month of being here, I, I'm, I'm learning all these lessons. And I have a competency of being able to take that and digest it and put it back out to other people that they can understand easily, right? So that's showing you have an ability to deliver a message. And that's a skill not a lot of people have. It's amazing how bad people are at that these days. But just taking whatever you can and, and, and doing something like that in public, you know, where it's kind of showing anybody that I've connected with within my company, oh, Robert's writing this blog? Holy shit, I should go read that. You know, or maybe it's something else. We're talking to HR reps. Hey, what do I need if I wanted to be that? If I want to be, take, you know, insert here, VP of marketing or uh, COO or whatever, what do I need to get there? So are you literally going up to HR? Because my next question is, how do you tactfully do this? Are you walking up to HR and, and actually saying, hey, you know that guy, 15 years of my senior, how did he get in that position? How do I get in that position? One thing that I'm really finding is, People are appreciating uh, respect for their time, right? And so tactful, yes, be tactful, but be to the point, right? Don't don't beat around the bush for 30 minutes and waste that person's time. It's probably got a report they need to work on. Be blunt, know what you need to ask, know what you want to know and ask them what you want to know. So they have a job description for most jobs out there. Even senior executives, there is a job description of what they're looking for. Who has that? HR usually has that. Somebody's writing that or maybe ask for a mentoring. A lot of the big companies that I've worked in, UCLA did this, Raytheon did this, where they have mentoring, where you can essentially connect with someone that is where you want to be and ask them quite a bit, you know, over a six month period of time, how did you get there? What do I need to do to get there? And what actions can I take within the company? You're able to access people 15 rungs up the ladder or whatever? Yeah, it's amazing. So essentially, a lot of big organizations do this now where they'll whatever it might be, they'll put this little thing out there that says, I am open to be a mentor for somebody in the organization. And a lot of them have through their websites or through, you know, Omnicom has link or through whatever it might be that allows you to search out those mentors. And if your company doesn't have that, take some initiative and do it on your own. Find who is where you want to be. Or ask them if they're willing to open a dialogue. Are you, do you, are you doing that by email or are you knocking on their office door? Usually email. It, it depends on where you are. You know, the really good thing about the program that I'm in is, you know, so I'm here in LA now. I go to Dallas next and I have to be where the CEO is. So the companies that I'm going to work for in Dallas, I'll have offices here in the same building I'm in right now, mm -hmm. but their CEOs are in Dallas. So I'm very, very lucky that they're putting me right there with the power centers so I can kind of see and, you know, learn and, and take what I'm going to take away from that. But if they are in another location, email is great. Sometimes phone, but, you know, again, that whole idea that marketing has gone to what your customer wants, when they want it, how they want it. You have to be really respectful of people's time, especially when you're going to executive leadership. Some people are text message people. Some people will not answer the phone, right? Certain Most of the day, I won't answer the phone. Send me a text message and I'll respond to you when I can. Some people are email people. Some people get so many emails a day, they hate email, right? So you got to figure out how that person wants their communication and then just reach out to them. And it can be maybe talking to somebody, finding somebody that's closer to your level that knows that person. Mm -hmm. LinkedIn is an amazing tool. If you're not using LinkedIn appropriately, you're, you're missing out. So even in your own company, you're using LinkedIn to reach up the ladder? Yeah. I, that's one of the first things that I did when I got here was I added everybody in our office on LinkedIn because it adds these concentric circles for whenever you're trying to reach out to other places. But it, it gives you, it goes from the cold call to at least the, the warm introduction. warm introduction. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the lukewarm introduction. Yeah. But yeah. it's one of those things, especially if I add somebody, I see they add me back and I text them within 
maybe a couple of hours. You text right? them, you get their number from LinkedIn. Text them, call them, email them, whatever it might be. You don't get that from LinkedIn. Yeah, but okay. if it's intra-company, you know, oh, okay. then I can usually have their number, their director. So I'm just trying to get like a step-by-step. So if someone's working at a corporation right now, they add everybody in that company on LinkedIn. And the reason is, hey, I work with you. It's not weird. That's LinkedIn. Well, and if it depends. So if you're like a company that has 50,000 employees, don't go to that. But, you know, everybody that's in your office that maybe you meet on your first day or that's that's right there in your general vicinity. Okay. Add all of them. And then, again, concentric circles. You'll start to find other people that are closer, that are linked to these people. So we have offices here and in San Francisco and New York. And first couple of days, I was adding everybody here. And then people from San Francisco and New York start adding me, right? Because right. they start seeing me pop up in these networks with the people that are here in L.A. Right. And it's just that's why it's such an amazing tool. It's like a big Venn diagram of I'm here, they're there, they're there. Where do we all meet? And you can start bringing these circles. And then if you want to meet someone, are you searching them for, for them on LinkedIn, finding who maybe your secondary connection or whatever is, and then going through that person? I found it's a pretty good tool. And whether it be in the business and trying to find out, because that's, you know, LinkedIn has a lot of people's resumes on there. So even if I want to kind of be able to map out and strategize my conversation or what I'm going to ask this person, I can go out and look on LinkedIn and find their resume and go, okay, so MBA, okay, here's, they started off in the mailroom. That doesn't really happen anymore, but they right. started off in the mailroom and then went here and here and here. You can see their progression of jobs over time. I mean, for me, I'm probably the worst example of that. You know, I went from owning my own business in college to going into the army and then went from the army to UCLA. So into the uh, health administration uh, industry. And then I went to Raytheon, so back to the defense industry, and now I'm in marketing, right? So there's, if you're trying to follow where I get by my progression, it's just all, and then there's, you know, a veteran ambassador and charity spokesman and, and author in there somewhere. So it's like, there's no linear progression, uh, but that's me and I'm, a, I'm definitely an oddball. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates, all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Now back to Robert Patrick Lewis. I like the idea of going into someone higher up's resume on LinkedIn and going, oh, this was their path roughly charted out bouncing that off them in a personal meeting if you need to get an intro through somebody else in your company using LinkedIn or whatever, you can do that. 
or just emailing them and saying, hey, uh, I'm new in your company. I noticed you're at X position. I'm currently here on your resume. How did you get through the other four rungs of it? I'd love to what but do you do you say i'd love to buy you coffee sometime do you do you say i'd love to meet in person how do you how do you pitch that it depends on the person right so one thing i usually say is would you be willing to open a dialogue right and then it's kind of on that person to say well you know what i prefer text message so why don't you text message me at this time or email or yeah let's go go let's go grab coffee uh, after lunch tomorrow okay it's kind of now it's in their court and they can say this is how i want to communicate with you when i want to communicate with you but I'm willing to communicate with you. Right. And so I'll throw that out there. So you're basically doing it on their terms because especially I've gotten a lot of younger people writing in and being like, you should help me because I'm younger and I want to do this. And I thought, wow, if you're talking to me like that, if you work for a company, how are you talking to the actual CEO of somebody who works with your company? Right. Like you need to do this for me. You know, I can, it must happen all the time. And so you, the pitch might be a little bit more carefully crafted, I think. And I think that's something that's happening in the newer generations, right? And they say that every generation thinks the world's going to end because the next generation sucks. And right. I, I see that going with us and right. people a little bit older than us. But one thing that I see from my old fogey standpoint, I guess, uh, at 35, is that a lot of those kind of social norms and niceties are going away and people have a tendency to kind of expect everything for nothing now. Yeah. And I blame celebrity, uh, call it reality TV. Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Uh, who she's actually, you know, for somebody who got famous for porn, I mean, she's a very shrewd business person, right? She's good at what she does. Yeah, she's a bad example. I, I guess who's a, who's a good example? Paris Hilton? I don't know. Yeah, well, who can we pick on today? Right, <laughs> Jersey Shore. You know, right. and there's a lot of stuff that's out there. But you know, some of those people turn into very smart business people. And hey, man, if no matter how you got there, if you figured out from your experiences and then made something of that, more power to you, right? Kim Kardashian. Hey, whatever, man, she's doing pretty well right now. So more power to her. But I found people have a tendency to just expect everything for nothing, and they don't understand their leverage. And that's a big point you really have to understand. Where do I sit in this relationship? What do I need from you? Do you need anything from me? Is there something I can do to make this kind of mutually beneficial? Uh, and understanding that and giving people the ability to say, here's when I'm available if I have all the leverage. Excellent. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think it's really important to try to seek mentorship inside your industry, or even in a less formal note, just have somebody who you can bounce something off of or somebody who can model their career path. Because I think a lot of people just kind of float and go, well, you know, they promote us every six months to a year. And at my performance review, you know, if things go well, I'll be up in another department. Or if they need someone, if they need someone, I'll be up there. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is if they need someone, it's because nobody's doing what we just talked about. Right. Right. There's just random <laughs> vacancy because somebody else got promoted, but there was nobody below to fill. So they're looking for like the A student to do that. But if somebody's more proactive, they're going to be already in that office half the time working with the person who got promoted or their team. And then there won't be a vacancy. It'll be immediately like, hey, we're yoinking this guy. And there'll be a vacancy at the seat next to you, not the seat above you. Yeah, and there's a very strange dynamic that will be coming up pretty soon where you have all these baby boomers that are in jobs. The job economy is not great right now. Whatever the government tells you, it's, it's not great. Unemployment rate, higher than they're, than they're reporting. It's a lot harder to get a job than they're making it seem. That's because there's a lot of baby boomers who, you know, maybe their 401k got wiped out in 2007. They're staying in jobs longer. They're choosing not to retire when they're going to retire. But when they do start retiring or being forced into retirement or whatever, there were a lot more of them than there are of us, of our generation. And so there's going to be all of a sudden a huge 
sucking sound, I guess, is all of them leave the job market and there's a lot of vacancies. You know, and it's where there's going to be this weird thing because there's going to be a lot of people that don't have the experience that they have because they stayed in their jobs longer. Right. But all of a sudden, these jobs that require this experience are going to be open. Uh, so it is a good place to start positioning yourself, you know, because that is one thing. When an incumbent, when somebody that's going out recommends their replacement, that's looked upon pretty highly in most organizations. So again, if you've got a mentor, if you've got, if you know where you want to be and you establish a relationship with this person, you start asking them what you should do. Hey, what book should I read? What courses should I take? Should I go get my MBA? Should I go study in this? Should I learn how to program? Mm -hmm. It's a big thing in marketing right now, learning how to write algorithms, do programming, do coding. Really? Yeah, it's going, the tagline is that it's changing from madmen to mathmen, right? Because oh God, that programmatic buying is its own thing and we're going into a lot of, essentially, yeah, the people that can write the al- algorithms, not the charismatic guy who, who makes the sale. Well, I'm out of the job. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> me all too. over for well, me. That's, dude, lynda.com, man. Uh, that's the CEO that I'm with now started sending me a lot of stuff saying, hey, if you don't know how to code, learn how to code. So I started doing lynda.com learning programming languages, learning all this stuff. The great thing about the technology age is that anything you need to know is out there and it's easily accessible. All you need to do is have a little bit of desire and go through and just do it. Is there anything that you want to tell us that we haven't asked you yet? Uh, so that's, you know, one thing right now is that the uh, the last book that came out, my first fiction work is The Pact. Um, go to thepactbook.com. That's like some Red Dawn stuff. Yeah, well, it's it's Red Dawn, but it's told through actual experience, right? So Tell us about that, then. That's one of the things that you know I learned through my time in Special Forces. I got to sit in a lot of higher-level intelligence briefings. I was in 110 in Germany, which is at a different level from a lot of the other organizations in Special Operations with the very intelligence-heavy nature that it is. So we pay a lot of attention to geopolitics while we were there. Uh, there's a lot of things that I had, I'd been hearing about China for years before it ever became out in the public eye that they had battalions of hackers trying to get into our infrastructure, all these different moves that they were making. So I got out, you know, still very, very close attention to geopolitics, what's going on in the world around us. And I started seeing all these alliances being formed and some are reported, some aren't reported, some are reported, but it's kind of tucked back in the back of, you know, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today it is, but Essentially, I started seeing all of our enemies becoming very close and trying to kind of crowd us out and put us at the kitty table. And it started to really, really worry me, you know, and I took that through the context of my experience of being a Green Beret, of, of understanding all the intelligence that, that we had gathered during my time in and understanding knock-on effects and how the world is essentially chess, right? It's not checkers, it's not dominoes, it's chess. And so it's gonna be Chinese checkers pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. If the pay if the conspiracy theorists listening to this have anything to say about it, it's already there. Well, that's the thing is you look through most of history and a lot of people have a tendency to say, How do they not see this coming? Right? Because the global powers tend to telegraph their actions far in advance. Because strategically speaking, if you're going to move an army against someone, it takes a lot to move a battalion of tanks and an entire army. And so you do have to telegraph because you've got to set this stuff up way in advance. And so I started seeing these things where, you know, China and North Korea now are doing joint military exercises. Russia and Iran have all kinds of natural gas deals between themselves. Iran, Russia, and China are all, all starting to work together. There are all these different things where all of our enemies are trying to get rid of the petrodollar. So currently, one of the main things that keeps the value of the dollar intact is that every barrel of oil sold is sold in dollars. Mm -hmm. 
So the dollar is a fiat currency, used to be backed by gold, which meant it had some kind of intrinsic actual value. Uh, and a lot of people look at that and go, oh, the dollar is going to be destroyed. Well, every currency in the world right now is a fiat currency, almost everyone, right? There are some that talk about going away from that, going back to gold back, but right now most are a fiat currency. So our enemies are not only starting to strategically make friendships between themselves, but they're talking about going away from the dollar as the world's reserve currency. They're trying to go away from the, the petrodollar as the oil currency. So essentially economic destabilization. One of the biggest things that leads to divorce today, money problems, right? We're starting to see all these kind of grumblings and economics around the world. You know, China started having a really hard time with their stock market and everything else. We owe more money to China than pretty much anybody else, but everybody owns everybody money all around the world, right? So if everybody were to sit up one day and go, we're calling in all of our loans. Mm -hmm. China did that, we'd be bankrupt. But if we did that, everybody would be bankrupt. Right. So the Luckily, one, you can't do that. Yeah, you can't. You could, but it would be suicide. It would yeah. destroy the global economy. It wouldn't just destroy you, it would destroy everybody. And so that's the one thing that people have always said is China and America will never go to war because we are each other's largest trading partners. There's a saying in finance, uh, if I owe you a million dollars, I have a problem. If I owe you a billion dollars, you have a problem because all I have to do is destabilize my currency and all of a sudden, what's a billion dollars in worthless dollars? Right? right, yeah, of course, yeah. That's people who are worried about the debt to China. It's kind of like, well, they have an, every incentive to make sure that those dollars are worth the maximum amount because if they become worthless, then it's like, here, man, I'll get you, here, Deng Xiaoping, I'll get you a Burger King right. kid's meal and we'll call it even. Well, and that's kind of where I took the way that my brain works and I, I took it a step further, right? So that's the good thing about you know being a financial advisor and understanding higher level of macroeconomics and how that works and then understanding the geopolitics from my background as a Green Beret. My idea was China finally gets to the point where they go, well, shit, you're never going to pay us back, but you got a lot of oil. And you got a lot of natural gas and you have a lot of people that can work in salt mines for us. And so they just say, okay, we don't want your dollars. We want your country. And that's where they decide to invade. Right. That's the, and it's fiction. So don't, <laughs> don't panic yet. And uh, Jason, you read it. Yeah, I read it. I loved it. I'm, I am eagerly waiting for number two, which is why I hear you talking about how you've got 30 other books to write. You're not allowed to. Well, you're going to go home and write that book now. <laughs> I've gotten that a lot from different people. And that, that's the good thing is I also have a very good hierarchy of what, what is next, right? So whenever I write a trilogy, like that's number one priority. And it, it is. So it's all, it's, it was mapped out at the beginning. Again, I write in that very methodical process. So everything was mapped out. The second book is nearing completion. So that's good. But again, I already know where the entire series goes. I know where the third book ends. It's just connecting all these little dots and, again, the interpersonal relationships between the characters. And it's funny because when I started that one off, you know, if you, if you read my first book, Let Me When I'm Gone, I maintain a lot of the same characters because it's easier for people to identify with the characters throughout my books if they're familiar with all of them. And I added some other characters that were people that I met after the experiences I wrote about in Let Me When I'm Gone. And I write out these little character summaries of this is this person, here's kind of their archetype, and here's how they are and what they do. And, you know, this guy dies in the second book, or this guy lives throughout no the No spoilers, no spoilers. Yeah, I'm not going to give any spoilers away here, but <laughs> there were a couple of them. And there is one, um, so the major in the first book, that I wrote this character summary. And a couple of chapters in, I went, mm, that's not him. He took on his own complete life, and I had to go back and scrap the, the character summary. And he became the person that he became. He became a very kind of standout character because of the way that he is. And 
it progresses significantly in the second book. I mean, it just, you can see the arc that he's going along and man, it goes way out there. Awesome. Uh, awesome. But it's cool because I've already got all these things. The whole thing is there, right? And I've seen the movie. Like, I understand how, I, I know the whole thing. It's just the little detail. So I can't just put my summary out there and sell it. I think people will get mad at that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, kind yeah. of like a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do the whole thing to completion. <laughs> well, thank you very much, man. Tell yeah. us where we can find the aforementioned books and the forthcoming books as well. Uh, so the book, uh, you can find Love Me When I'm Gone at lovemewhenimgone.com. The Pact at thepactbook.com, which will have the whole series. Uh, they're both available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Audible. I narrated Let Me When I'm Gone. Mike Dawson from the Adam Carolla Show narrated The Pact. Uh, he actually put a score to it, so the audiobook has a lot of really cool, cool. stuff in there. Um, there's also robertplewis.com that ties all my blogs and podcast everything together. So, And, of course, the Green Beret MBA.com and on iTunes. Good thing you have that site that ties everything together. Yeah, I needed it. <laughs> that's, yeah, very radio-friendly, robertplewis.com. I'll have that linked in the show notes as well, the 87 other links that you mentioned in the last 14 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thanks for it. having me. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Robert's a good friend of mine. Cool guy, really sharp cat. I like how the military stuff translates to business. It's funny because you hear all this like, well, business has to be this way, has to be that way, and now they're trying to hire out-of-the-box thinkers by training, which is a, a common trend that you see in startups, and now we're starting to see that in corporations as well. And I love this really specific LinkedIn sort of internal intelligence networking strategy that he had for us here as well show feedback and guest suggestions the show's a fanarchy it's run by you we rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse so if you know someone who's a good fit for the show let me know jordan at theartofcharm.com if you enjoyed this don't forget to thank robert on twitter we'll have that linked in the show notes as well as his other resources there were plenty mentioned on the show i also post on twitter articles insights funny stuff i'm at the art of charm on twitter Bootcamp details for our live programs at bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. There's two dots in there. Remember, we're sold out a few months in advance, so if you're thinking about it a little bit, you should get in touch ASAP to get some info from us so you can plan ahead. And also on the website, we've got our blog and bonus episodes that aren't released in the iTunes feed. Subscribe on iTunes, write us a nice review, I'll love you forever. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 